Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. Amen. And I truly sense that God is here. It's almost like I could hear his footsteps going through and ministering to people. I believe that God has touched hearts. God's brought peace. He's ministered strength. He's ministered healing. I never met my wife's grandfather, but he was, from what I hear, a great man of God and had many encounters with the Lord. He would go up on a mountain under a tree and he would meet with the Lord and pray. The Lord, he had visitations from the Lord. He told the story of one time he was trying to walk through a train tunnel and it was so dark that he couldn't see. And I, I don't want to tell the whole story because I'll mess it up, but ba basically the gist of it was this, that he felt the presence of the Lord come and lead him. He had to walk on those timbers of that railway to keep from falling through and breaking his ankle or something. It was like the angel of the Lord came, and they asked him, how do, how do you know that the angel of the Lord was there? And he says, because I, I, I heard the sound of his garment. So he had been with the presence, in the presence of the Lord for he knew. Do we know the visitation of God? Maybe it's not as clear as that, but do we know that God is visiting us? God inhabits the praises of his people. I want, I want to encourage you, church, this, this time when we come together, when we worship, don't take it lightly. Know that God is here. They, they say that that passage that he inhabits the praises of his people in the Japanese Bible, I, don't, I can't read Japanese, so I just have to take their word for it. But they say that, that that passage actually says that he comes and he, he puts a chair in the middle of his people. He comes and sits down. God visits us. We, we shouldn't take that lightly. David's tabernacle was just, a, he pitched a tent and he, he brought the ark and on that ark there was a chair. There was a seat. And it's called the mercy seat. Here's a picture for you. God puts his chair right in the midst of us. He sits down and we can crawl up in his lap. It's a place of mercy. It's a place of grace. Because of what Jesus has done, we can boldly come to him. We can boldly approach we can crawl up in his lap, and he can minister to us. Amen. God, God wants us to know him in the closeness that deeply, that intimately. Amen. I believe that with everything that's on, on the inside of me. I've experienced that. My darkest hour. God's close. God is near. Amen. May we be aware of that. May we be cognizant of that. Amen. Listen, we're going to continue. We're going to worship through our tithe and our offering right now. And I, I just want to take a minute and thank you as a church. I wish you could see what I see every week, and I'm seeing our church rise. When we left uh, last Sunday, I went back, and I, I, it's kind of routine. One of the last things I do before I'm leaving the building, I check in with, with uh, Steve Manicki and the team. By the way, Steve's in Mexico on the beach. Well, no, he's heading there. He's probably not to the beach yet. He's traveling to Mexico today. So next Sunday, he'll be in the beach in a suit. 
But I always check in with Steve after church, and I, one of the final things, I always hear the offering report. And last Sunday, you know, we had some snow last week. It was a slushy mess on the way to church. Our attendance was down, and our offering was down. It's probably the worst I've ever seen. I think it was $350 that we collected on Sunday morning. And Kenny, where's Kenny? I saw him. There he is. Kenny, Kenny a few months ago, when he heard about what we were going through as a church financially, he said, you know what, I think, Pastor, would it be okay if I, because he's on the counting team and he's back there helping him to count. He said, Pastor, would it be all right if I just prayed over the offering every Sunday? So he talked to Steve about it, and he started praying over it. And, and since Kenny started praying, so if, if you need a financial breakthrough, have, have Kenny lay hands on you. <laughs> no, but he started praying back then, and, and we have. We've seen God move. And, you know, we, we had 350 in the offering plate last week, but I looked this morning, and we've had about $10,000 come in this week. Amen. And it seems more and more people are giving online, and thank God for that. That's, that's good. But I'm glad to see what God's doing. You know, that, that's not a whole lot of big, big, huge offerings, and there are some in there occasionally. But it's people giving 40 bucks, 50 bucks, 80 bucks, 100 bucks, 200, 300 dollars, just people faithfully giving. And I see names, I see names I don't recognize. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for what you're allowing God to do through you. Amen. And uh, we honor the Lord. We honor the Lord with our tithe and offering. It is worship unto God. Amen. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your provision for this house, for the work that you've called us to do. I thank you for your provision to every, every, uh, every member, every family that's represented here today, everyone who gives, Lord God. I just pray, Lord God, that you would continue to favor us, continue to bless us, continue to prosper us, Lord, because we are partners with you in your kingdom. We thank you for it. We honor you and we bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you as you give. We're going to go right into the word of the Lord this morning. We're going to talk about spiritual hunger this morning. Everybody's favorite topic, fasting. Right? So our topic today is spiritual hunger. And I want to start with a story. It's a story I've told. I think Rachel has even told it here. Um, but it well illustrates where I, where I feel like the Lord wants us to go today. It's a story of a missionary, and I think my father-in-law is the one that relayed this story to us. But it's a story of a missionary. He was in, in, a, um, in a remote location in a village, and they called for him, and they took him to this child who was demon-possessed. And listen, if you don't believe in demon possession, you are naive. If you don't believe that there is demonic activity working all throughout this earth, you are naive. I, I, I encounter it all the time. I encountered it this week on multiple occasions. It's not something to, to, to play around with. It's not something to take lightly. It's not something that we should boast about when we encounter that or operate around that realm. We should be humble, and we should submit to the Lord. Amen? And we need to be under the control. If you're going to deal with de demonic activity, you need to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. But it's real. It's very real. And we need to be cognizant of that. So much of what is moving in this earth today is, is moving because of the forces, principalities, and powers, things in dark places that are operating, things you encounter probably every single day, that you think, well, that's just a, a mental disorder, that's just a this, that, and the other. No, there are demons working, and we need to be cognizant of that. 
We, we need to be aware and we need to be vigilant. But they bring him to this child who's possessed with a demon. He begins to pray and try to cast the spirit out of this child. And that child puts his, his hand on his stomach. This man's praying for him. And this child puts his hand on his stomach and says, too full. Too full. That man's heart breaks. He immediately goes back to his room and he begins to pray. He spends, I think, a few days praying and fasting. And he goes back and counters this young man and casts the spirit out of this child. I think that aptly illustrates so much of where Christianity is today. So many of us in this Christian life are full. So much of church is full. We, our, our schedules are so busy, so full, that we can't show up for church. Our order of service is so full that the Holy Spirit can't move. And that really goes back to something so much deeper. It's that our souls are full. We're, we're filled up on watching the, you know, what do they call it, binging on Netflix, the latest series. And I'll be honest, I've done that this year. I've watched a TV series this year. Football. I've, I've watched football games, right? Full, right? And, and we, can, we can be full of good stuff. Man, I, I, I care for my mom every week. I feel her, her medicine. I take care of that. We, we do all the, the runs to the doctor. I am uh, an Uber driver, part-time gig. I don't know if you knew that, but I, I'm, I'm a professional driver of children who play basketball. And I don't get paid for it. Actually, I'm trying to figure out how do you get connected into Uber so you can get paid for driving people around. I've been to, I think, what, three basketball games this week? And the referees, I think, are demon-possessed, <laughs> for sure. I witnessed the two worst calls, and it, it wasn't because the calls were against our team. It was both, both sides. They were just pathetic. One of these games, these, these, I was like, what, did you go to church and pick some guys? Hey, would you mind showing up and refing a game? They've never watched basketball on TV. That's kind of like what it was like. It was so awful and frustrating. All, all of that stuff can be time with your family, can be taking care of your mom, it can be going to work, making your meals, cleaning your house, so much stuff, and it just occupies our time. It eats us up. It consumes us. And not all of it's bad. Entertainment's not bad. Watching a TV series isn't necessarily bad. Going to a football game, not necessarily bad. But we, I think, are so consumed with it that it eats us up. And we desperately need, I, I, I appreciate what uh, Brother Sean Alexander ministered last week about the Holy Ghost. I preached on the Holy Spirit the week before, but man, I, I believe that God really wants to move through his church. I, I believe God wants us to have Holy Ghost encounters and an out, experience outpourings of his spirit. He wants to bring, he wants to revive the church. I believe he wants to revive return church. I believe he wants to revive us. But if that's going to happen, we, we have got to position ourselves. We, we have to empty ourselves. We have to make room for God to move. You know, there, there were some, I call them awkward pauses, if you will, in our worship set. And you know what? I love that. We, we need to get comfortable with that. If, if that makes you uneasy, think about it. Whenever we get into those awkward moments, we, we need to tune in. When it starts to uh, feel uncomfortable for you, that, 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 that's a sign. Hey, this, I, I need to, hold on. 
I need to shift gears here. I need to look to heaven. I need to open my ears. And I need to figure out what God's doing here. Our church services have begun, become so programmed. And I'm going to tell you what, if, if you want to program church, they're, they're, all, they're all over the metro. And I don't mean that as a knock. A lot of those churches are doing wonderful, wonderful things. That's not a knock. Giving millions to missions, etc. Reaching people, ministering to people in this community, ministering on college campuses, ministering in neighborhoods. They're doing some great things. But I'm going to tell you what, this church, I, I want to make room for the Holy Spirit here. Amen. Jesus, Jesus said, amen. He said his house would be called the house of prayer, right? The, the identification is not that we're organized, that, that we, we've got, you know, our, our, our service programmed every three minutes and every five minutes and every 15 minutes of what's going to happen. But this needs to be a place of prayer. It needs to be a place of refuge. It needs to be a place where people can come in and they can find ministry. It needs to be a place where, where the, the spirit of God is present, where people can sense a tangible, it, it, where, where it either brings them peace or it, either, it brings them discomfort, because the Holy Spirit is here. Amen? That's what the house of God should be. We, we need to make room for God to move in our lives, in our church, in our homes. Let's go to the Gospel of Matthew. We're, we're going to look at Jesus, the life of, of Jesus. We're going to look in, uh, at, this, at this story of his temptation in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was, in verse 1, led up by the Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit. Amen? We're a people who are led by the Spirit. If we're people who are led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will lead you to get alone and fast. It's a little bit of spiritual checkup for us here today. If that's not happening, something's too full. If God's not leading you to be alone, if you haven't been led to fast lately, it's time to shift gears. Is that all right? Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to, into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I, have given, I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away, from, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. I love that. I love that. And I believe there is something that transpires when we fast. 
when we have spent time in the presence of the God of the Lord, where his angels come and they minister to us. Listen, I understand that ministry, that, that, that fasting, it, it, it can be difficult. It's challenging. Right? I mean, let's be honest. As soon as you, as soon as you go on a fast, what happens? Your coworkers bring your favorite carryout. Right? And you're trying to sit over in your cubicle with all the smells. It's not easy. It's challenging. It's an it's a absolute test of our flesh. It can be gruesome. The stomach pains, the groans, there's actually chemicals that, that release those hunger pains. I don't know if they're chemicals or hormones or whatever they are, but your body has this built in. And it's a sign. What is it? See, Kitty's got to figure it out. She knows about it. And it's a sign that your body is actually healthy. If you're not eating and those, those uh, hormones or whatever they are don't kick in, you're not healthy. Right? It's a sign that you're not healthy. Hunger is a sign of health. And those pains hurt. Fasting, I'm not going to stand up here and lie. It's difficult. It's not easy. If it were, all Christians would fast every week, and we, and we should. Fasting is not like a one-off event. Like a 40-day 40, 40 fast, that might be a once-in-a-lifetime thing. But I, I think fasting is, is a part of our rhythm. It's a part of our life. It's a part of what, what God has called us to. And if it's not a normal part of the cadence of your life, we're missing depth. We're, we're missing spiritual weight that can come to our lives if this isn't normal and a part of our routine. The Bible says, and I love it, it's in, in, in uh, uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. I believe, it's in, I believe it starts in verse 16, and this isn't in the notes, but in, in verse 16, I think it is where they, they come to Jesus and they're making demands on him, wanting, desiring to be healed by him. Desiring to, for him to perform miracles, cast out devils. They're, they're making these demands on Jesus. That's in verse 16. I think it's in verse 17. The, the very next verse, I could be off a of verse or two here, but I think it's verse 17 where, where it says that with all of the demands of ministry, with all of the demands of life, you know what Jesus did? The Bible says that he slipped away by himself as his custom was and prayed. See, this, this was a normal part of Jesus' routine. And in the next verse, verse 18, I think it is, it says that the power of God was present with him to heal. See, a lot of us are missing that middle verse there. We got all these demands, demands of ministry, demands of life, demands of family, demands of your, your budget, whatever it is, all these demands that are, that are coming at you, knocking on your door, trying, trying to get a hold of you, trying to consume your life. And you know what we're doing? We're succumbing to that. We're living to that. We're bowing to that. We're focused upon that. Because we're not doing what Jesus did, slipping away to pray and spend time with the Father so that we can receive strength. And like in verse 18, have power to heal, to minister, to do life, to whatever it is that we need in this life. We're not receiving strength from God. We're operating in our own strength. We're operating in our flesh. We're doing it our way because we don't have this connection with God. This, this 
temptation happens right after Jesus' baptism. We, we know the picture. We see the Spirit descending on him like a dove. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? It says in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 12, and there, uh, th- these accounts are in the Gospels that we read Matthew's account, and Mark's account tells us that immediately after the baptism, the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. Immediately. So this is right, at the, right, right uh, after his baptism, and this, this is something that will prepare Jesus and launch Jesus into ministry. The Holy Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted in preparation for his ministry. Luke tells us, I love this, in verse 1, that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of us are full of it, but it, it's not the Holy Spirit. We're full of busyness. We're full of lust. We're full of greed. We're full, uh, full of desires. We're full of this. We're full of that. Full of everything but the Holy Ghost. It takes emptying to be full of the Holy Ghost. Why was Jesus full of the Holy Ghost? Because he, I, lived, I believe this. He, he lived a rhythm, a lifestyle of emptying himself out so that the Father could fill him up. It was Jesus' routine. It was Jesus' way of life. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Luke also tells us that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. And he ate nothing. And afterwards, when they had ended, this ought to be the most obvious statement ever, he was hungry. No duh. He had need for 40 days. He was hungry. He was hungry. And this is when the enemy comes in to tempt Jesus. There are a lot of parallels to this temptation and the temptation of of the first Adam. Jesus is known as the second Adam. The first Adam in creation in the garden was also tempted. And guess what? He failed the test. Jesus passed the test. The first Adam failed the test. Amen? The Bible, in, in Genesis chapter 2, it says that the enemy was very subtle, that he came into the garden and listened to, to his uh, subtleness. He asks Eve this question, has God said, we talk about this a lot, has God said, there's subtlety in that question. There's a subtle implication that ultimately would, would turn into an explicit contradiction. God has not said, because God knows that if you'll eat this apple, pear, fig, whatever it was, we don't know exactly what the fruit was, but if you'll eat this fruit, your eyes will be open and you will see even as he sees. Adam falls for the trick. Adam is living in reality everything that we desire and everything that we can ultimately experience through the Holy Ghost. Adam lived life in the spirit. He lived life. He was, he was clothed in God. He walked with God, as they say, in the cool of the day. He lived and existed in the presence of God. Life in the spirit. And he moved from that, biting the apple, buying the lie, he moved from spirit to flesh. From being led by the Spirit of God, controlled by the Spirit of God, governed by the Spirit of God in relationship with God, 
to the senses. It's right there in Satan's words. God knows if you eat this, your eyes will be open. He moved from life in the spirit to life by sight. This is what the enemy wants for all of us, that we live life in the flesh. We live life by what we're seeing, right? Adam lived life by what God said, and Satan tempted him and caused him to fall for living for what he could see. Think about that. The Bible says that Jesus is a high priest who is touched with the filling of our infirmities. It teaches us this, that, that he is fully acquainted with, with every temptation that we will ever experience. The Bible said he was tempted, he was tested without sin. There are three primary ways that we are tempted in life. It's, it's in the scripture, it's in, in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 says this. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. We've got the realm of the world and we've got the realm of eternity right there. If you love the world, you're perishing. If you love the Father, eternal life. And the temptations, the, the, the things that come to destroy us come in these three ways. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Jesus was tempted in the garden three times. And he was tempted in these three realms. Jesus was tempted in the lust of the flesh. He was tempted in the lust of the eyes. He was tempted in the pride of life. These three temptations that Satan brings to him tempts him in these three areas. That's why it says that he was tempted in every way. In our eyes, in our flesh, and in our pride. We could say it this way. We, there, there's three ways we fail. Through our eyes, through our emotions, and through our ego. What you see, feast your eyes on this. If, if we are consumed and dominated by what, let's, let's be honest, how many of you have ever seen something that has changed your entire day? Driving, you're driving down the highway, you're going to be on time for work, but you saw the Egg McMuffin and the hot cup of coffee on a billboard and it made you late for work. Anybody? How many of you have ever seen something that has changed the direction of your life? Right? The lust of our eyes will get us in trouble. The lust of our eyes will kill us. We're not led by what we see. What, what does Corinthians say? We, we are not led by sight. We are led by faith and not by sight. Jesus is tempted in the realm of his eyes. Jesus, it, Satan comes to him and he tempts him. He says, it, it, look out there. Look at these kingdoms. Feast your eyes on this, Jesus. If you'll just bow down and worship me, I will give you all of the kingdoms. You can have all the kingdoms without the Via Dolorosa. 
You can have all the kingdoms without the crown of thorns. You can have all the kingdoms without the jabbing spear in your side. You can have all these kingdoms if you'll, without the cross if you will just bow down and worship me. Jesus faces here the temptation of his eyes. All that he can see. And he overcomes it. He defeats it. The, the flesh, right? He was hungry. 40 days without food. And Satan's got bread in the oven. Can you smell it, Jesus? Look at this. Hot, warm bread. Like when you go to Longhorn and they bring it out on that tray. And the butter just melts. He's in his weakest moment, 40 days without food. And he wins victory over this temptation of the flesh. Amen? Flesh, it's, it's our emotions. Don't, don't be governed by your emotions. Don't be governed by your sensory. What you can see, what you can smell, what you can taste, what you can touch. Don't be motivated by greed. Don't be motivated by lust. Don't be motivated by sexual desire. See, this, this is one of the reasons that, that fasting is really important for us as Christians. Some of you all are defeated in areas of temptation, sexual desire, greed, whatever. I, I believe this. There are certain things in our life we will not experience victory over without fasting. When we can learn to control this, we can get victory in sex, lust, greed, all of these inordinate desires. And listen, all of those things, God put all of that as, in us. God gave us those emotions, those feelings for a reason, but they only operate properly when they're governed by the Holy Spirit. Fasting is, is something that, that God uses to teach us to submit. It's something that God uses to humble the flesh. It's something that God uses that teaches our stomach that it's not in control. You got keen tummy. Governing 90%. You spend money you wouldn't want to spend because of your stomach. You make decisions you don't want to make because of your stomach. Right? Their God is their belly. We're going to get to that passage in just a minute. We make all kinds of decisions because of our stomach. And we, if we can learn, if you, some of you have a problem with your mouth. You can't quit cussing. You can't quit gossiping. You can't keep telling people off, whatever it is. If you'll get control of this, you can get control of your tongue. Fasting teaches us self-control. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. Fasting teaches this. Amen. There's, and there's so much I want to teach about fasting, and we're not going to get to it all today. But Jesus overcame every temptation of the enemy, the ultimate one. If you are the Son of God, this, this is striking at Jesus' identity. This has to do with, with, with the realm of our ego, the pride of life. Satan will come and he will challenge our identity our position, who we are, the very essence of our being. He will come and challenge us in this area. This is really, really one of the hardest realms for us because we, we have so much pride. James tells us about, about dealing with this. James 
chapter 4. Man, I need some glasses. Print on this Bible is really small. Let's take time. I, I want to go. This is important. I want us to see this. James chapter 4. He gives more grace. Verse 6 says, Therefore, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Talking about pride. How, how do we deal with pride? God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. How, how do we deal with it? Therefore, we should submit to God. Submitting to God. How do, how do we overcome our pride? Submission to God. Resisting the devil. And he will flee. How, fasting is one of these ways that we do this. Coming under the authority of God's word is another way. Prayer is, is another way that we overcome our pride, our ego. But fasting is a huge part of this. It's, it's a part of submitting. Fasting teaches us, our, our physical bodies, submission. Submission. We're telling our stomach, we're telling our flesh, you are not in control. The Spirit of God is in control of this vessel. The Spirit of God is controlling my decisions. You are not. Draw near to God, and this is right in the heart, I love this. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Let me say this about fasting. Fasting, just, just by definition, what, what is fasting? Because I hear people using this word fasting all the time. There's, it's, it's, a, it's like a physical fitness trend right now. Intermittent fasting. That is not fasting. That is dieting. You're giving up food, but it is not. Fasting is giving up food for a spiritual purpose. James says it right here. Humble ourselves, submit to God, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Listen, church, I, I want to challenge us, every one of us in this room, to fast this week. How many of you would do, before I, before I ask the question, a day, three days, you, you pick the terms. But if you would fast with us, would you raise your hand? Good, thank you very much. I want us to fast. I want us to empty ourselves. I want us to make room for God. But if we're not doing what James says right there, we're not fasting. If we're not drawing near to God so he can draw near to us, we're wasting our time. That's not a fast. That's a diet. You'll lose some weight physically. Maybe, unless you binge the next day. But if we don't draw near to God, we don't gain weight spiritually. Fasting, really, fasting will do that. We will, we will physically lose weight, but in the spirit, we gain weight. Fasting builds character in us. It does. It, it shapes character. It, it's part of the process that God uses to shape the, the nature of Jesus into us. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Let, let, let me say this. Fasting, if, if all it does is produce piousness in us, cleansing our, our hands, our purifying our hearts, mourning and lamenting like this, 
We, we, can, we can do all of that and our hearts be in the wrong place. Do you know that? If we're not drawing near to God, really, this is relational stuff. It's about intimacy with God. Fasting will produce an intimacy with God. I'm going to tell you this. If you've never been on a fast, fasting will produce an intimacy with God. It will manifest an intimacy with God. If you're drawing near to God that you have never experienced in your life. But if we're not careful, it can just become some pious exercise. We can cleanse our hands. We can rip our clothes, throw ashes and dress ourselves in sackcloth and we can look really spiritual and really miss God. Jesus gives us a little bit of instruction about fasting. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. And, and by the way, lament, mourn, weep. This, I believe, is a part of fasting, and it works great joy. It does. The motive behind fasting really matters. Isaiah 58, he talks about the, the, the fasting, the kind of fasting that pleases and displeases the Lord. And at the heart of it, what really displeases the Lord in our fasting is when we are fasting, Isaiah says, to please ourselves. And he says, when, when we really have fasted, we have had this kind of relational interchange with God in our times of fasting, when we have prayed and met with God and he's visited us and we've set this time consecrating ourselves before the Lord and this exchange has happened, you know what happens? It, it, it turns our heart, hearts towards ministry. Not, not self-righteousness like, hey, look at me, I'm a really spiritual person, I've been on a fast. But Isaiah says it turns us into these humble people that go and give our food to the poor and we minister to people. See, it changes, and we're going to get to this in just a second. Fasting changes and transforms us to our core. It changes and transforms our heart to our very soul. It will change us. So this stuff, like we're going to go on a Daniel fast, so we're going to go online and we're going to find the Daniel fast menu and we're going to cook all of these elaborate meals. It's nonsense. It really is. I don't mean to be rude or brash towards anybody who's done that. Or, but the reality is, fasting is about giving up food or giving up pleasant food in the Daniel fast. If you're going to go on a Daniel fast, throw some carrots in a bag and go sit in your car at, at lunch break and chew your carrots while you read your Bible and pray. Like don't, don't spend your 45-minute lunch break you know, cooking meatless chicken curry or whatever. All these things that are, they can make on the, the it, yeah, it doesn't have meat, it doesn't, but it, I'm going to tell you what, you spend more time, the, the, the whole point of fasting, you're giving up food so you can use that time that you would spend preparing, eating, all that, sit down with the Lord and spend time in his presence. That's what it's really all about. So I, I want to share this. This is Matthew chapter 6. This, this is Jesus' instructions about fasting. And by the way, Jesus didn't, didn't say if you give, he said when you give. He didn't say if you pray, he said when you pray. He didn't say if you fast, he said when you fast. It is a part of the Christian lifestyle to give, to pray, to fast. Amen? You guys with me? Hello? Is this thing working? 
Hello? <laughs> Thank you. Matthew 6, 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their face that they may appear to men to be fasting. And assuredly, I say to you, they, ha they have their reward. You know what their reward is? If you go around boasting about the fact that you're on a fast, if you're advertising it, you know what your reward is? Your friends know you're on a fast. And that's it. He says, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, don't look like you're uncomfortable. Don't brush your teeth. Your when you fast, your breath will smell. It happens. It's a part of the process of what happens in your body. Your breath's going to stink, so brush your teeth. Anoint your head. Wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I'm going to say this. We don't fast to receive favor. We don't fast to receive grace. We don't fast to receive mercy. We don't fast. We fast because we have received mercy, because we have received grace. God doesn't love you more after a fast. God loves us, period. But I guarantee you this, you'll love God more when you fast. That's a reality. So let's look at this passage in Philippians. Let's talk about carnal people. Better yet, let's, let's talk about carnal Christians. Carnal Christians. Christians who are dominated by their flesh. Are they really saved? I do not know. I'm going to leave, I'll leave all those judgments to the Lord. But, but so much of what we do is just crazy. So much of what we're living for is nonsense. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 Paul says, many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, as King Tummy, and whose glory is in their shame. And look at the last statement, who set their mind on earthly things. Christian, we're, we're not supposed to be dominated by our stomach. We're not supposed to be dominated by earthly things. We're not supposed to be glorying. I see Christians all the time glorying in shameful things. If, if this is who we are, our end is destruction. If this is who we are, we are the enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. We are not governed by our stomachs. We're supposed to be governed and under the control and under the power of the Spirit of God. Fasting will change us. It will transform you. If you've never been on an extended fast, I would encourage you, set, and, and, and you, it's not something you should enter into hastily. I'm not telling you that go home today and start fasting for 40 days. But consider it, pray about it, 
Not everybody can do a 40-day fast. But I, I, would, I would challenge you, go, do, do something substantial that you've never done before in this thing of fasting. Three days, a week, 21 days. Daniel fast for 21 days, something. Do something substantial and watch how God breaks through in your life. Are, are you willing to forego meals to have an encounter with God? Are you willing to empty yourself out so that God can fill you up? Do you, do you need change? Do you need transformation? Is there an area where you need breakthrough? And listen, there, there, listen I, I believe this. There are certain things that will not break in your life without fasting. Jesus said it. His disciples trying to cast out a, a demon out of someone. And he said, this is not coming out but by prayer and fasting. There, there are strongholds that will not break in your life without fasting. If you've got reoccurring sins, things that you have struggled with, things that you have... Listen, I, I can stand here as a witness. For the first 18 months of my life, my Christian life, I struggled with alcohol. It was prayer, it was fasting, it was the Holy Ghost, it was the saints of God behind a lot of that that broke that off of my life. I know that for a fact. There are certain things, and I could take you and I could teach you through scriptures of this. And there are things in nature that speak of this. You know that farmers, there are certain bugs that they have to spray for cycles, some of them 21 days, some of them 40-day cycles, to kill certain bugs because of the eggs. They can, fill, they can kill the first generation by spraying once, but they have to spray over and over and over again because of the eggs and the next generations that will come up. There are certain things that will not break. There are cycles, there are strongholds, there are addictions that will not break without this spiritual time with God. Prayer and fasting brings breakthrough. It brings transformation. Let's be honest. What, what good does fasting do if it doesn't change our hearts? What, what good does any religious routine System, cycle, whatever, with, without change and transformation in our hearts, in our soul, to the, our, our very being. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 2. If you're not true Jews, just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have done, gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. A true circumcision is not merely obeying the law, the, the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit, and a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from men. Prayer and fasting, time in the Word, all, all spiritual disciplines bring about change in the believer. They transform us. They, 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 it's what, what Paul's talking about in Romans 12. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We, we have to have spiritual discipline in our life to keep us from being conformed to this. If you don't read the Bible, you're going to look just like the world. You're going to be concerned with the things of the world. You're going to be controlled by your belly. If you don't get into the Word of God, if you don't pray, if you don't fast, change and transformation doesn't come just because you showed up at church one Sunday, shook a preacher's hand, said a sinner's prayer, sat in your lazy boy watching Christian television, Downloading your favorite Christian preachers on YouTube, that doesn't do it. It takes discipline, spiritual disciplines, to bring transformation to our lives.
The, re- the Bible talks about the renewing of our mind by the washing of the word. As we get into the word of God, it changes, it transforms us. As we pray and spend time in the presence of God, as we fast, these disciplines change and transform us. The human heart is crooked. But the redeemed heart, governed by the Spirit of God, you know what it is? A human heart, an unregenerated, unchanged, and untransformed heart will lead you to hell. Right? That's, that's what Jeremiah is talking about. He said the, the human heart is deceitful, it is desperately wicked. But a regenerated heart, governed by the Spirit of God, is the compass of the Christian. When we have been in the presence of God, when we have prayed about a matter, we can trust our hearts. God, where, where does God speak to us? The, the, the Jews believed the heart was the, the, the seed of man, the very essence of who he was. God's spirit bearing witness with our spirit and, and our heart then begins to lead us. It's a regenerated heart. Not one that's controlled by sin, not one that's dominated by the flesh, but one that is led by the spirit of God. That is the guide of the Christian. And we can, cha- we, we can trust our transformed heart. We can transform, we, we, we can trust a heart that is pure. There's one, one, one thing I want to leave you with today, it's this. Fasting is truly a blessing. You know, what's not a blessing? Being bogged down with the cares of this world. How do we, and let me back up, we talked a minute about the flesh. How do we deal with the flesh? Anybody know what it is to be controlled by your flesh? Anybody, let's be honest, you know what it is to be controlled by your emotions? How many of you have ever almost punched somebody because of your emotions? I was sitting in the basketball game this week. Confession is good for the soul. Wanting to punch a referee. Be angry and sin not. Don't get into your feelings, bro. Right? Our feelings will betray us. Our flesh, if we allow it to dominate, so how do we deal with that? I believe Paul gives us a great indication in, in Philippians. He says, be anxious for nothing. That, that's in the realm of your emotion, of your feelings. Don't, don't let your, your feelings, your emotions, your senses control you. But in all things, by prayer and supplication. That's how we overcome the flesh. That's, what, that, that's the power of prayer. That's the power of getting into the Word. That's the power of fasting. It, it has a wonderful effect on our soul. And there is a blessing, everybody say blessing, blessing. in spiritual hunger. Jesus says it right there in the Sermon of the Mount, right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Sermon of the Mount. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you're filled with all of the latest TV series, if you're filled with social media, if you're filled with the gossip circle, if you're filled with the busyness of life, 
You know what you are? You're hungry and hungry and hungry. How many of you figured out there's nothing that this world can give you? How many of you seriously watched one of those binges on whatever TV station, Bonanza, whatever it is? You watched every, every, every program of every season, and it left you wanting more. None of it satisfies us. Whatever you consume in this world, it leaves you empty. But when we hunger and thirst for the things of God, it fills us. There's fulfillment. There's satisfaction. Job talks about it. He says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. Job says in Job 23, 12, he says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. He got to a point in his life where he didn't want to eat. Just give me the word of God. I value God's word more than Sean Alexander's brisket. That's what Job's saying here. This is, this is Job in trial. This is Job in temptation. This is Job in the testing, right? He built an altar. He worshiped God. He sat there staring off into space for days. He was fasting. All of his friends coming and bringing accusations. Job, if you would have just done this, God wouldn't have done this to you. Job this, Job that. What did he do? He just sat there in sackcloth and ashes. And he makes this statement. I've kept all of his commandments. I desire his words more than meat. He is unique. And who can make him change? For whatsoever his soul desires that he does. He says, he has not cut off darkness from me, nor has he hidden deep darkness from my face. But he makes the declaration, I will trust him. For many such things are with him, and he has prepared all of my ways. See, Job had an understanding of the goodness of God that's why Job went through all that he went through and he came out on the last half of it twice as blessed. Because he was a man that found satisfaction in his God. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job understood that fasting is feasting. Giving up food to spend time in the presence of God is the greatest banquet of all time. If you've ever been on a fast, you come to understand that truth, that fasting is feasting on Jesus. We're going to take communion in just a minute. I'm going to ask our, our, our team to get prepared for that. Matthew, or in John, I'm sorry, John chapter 6, Jesus walks on the water. And then people come, they, they come looking for him. So they, he, he fed them. He said they, they ate bread. After the Lord had given thanks, the, 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 the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, and they got out of their boats and they came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. They came looking for him. They were in pursuit of Jesus. They'd eaten bread and they came looking for Jesus. 
And Jesus answers, he said, Most assuredly, I said to you, you, you seek me, not because of the signs you saw, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for food which, is, which perishes. See, they're, they're looking for more food. They're like the grumbling Grecian women in, in Acts chapter 6. Give us our food. Give us our portions. And Jesus says, don't, don't labor for food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Because God the Father has set his seal upon him. He goes on and down many verses later, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. We look at the this, this statement where Jesus says, I think it's in John chapter 6, unless you eat my flesh, and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me. There's no place in my kingdom unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. There's nothing of cannibalism in this statement. Gentlemen, you can go ahead and serve the people. Jesus is making a, a, a declaration of spiritual truth. Without his death upon the cross, without his spilling of the blood, we can't experience his life. Unless we are partakers of his flesh, if we are baptized into his body, he's the bread of life. And he satisfies. Let's stand together. As we get ready to take this communion church, I want to call us to fast. Make room for the Lord. My week was really, really busy. Best time of the week for me this morning. I'd done all my sermon prep, all that, all the work. Sometimes you have to study scripture and it's like you're not really getting what you need from the Lord. Best time I had all week long, I went to my office. I told my wife, I'm going to stay back here for an hour. You, you handle our, our pre-service meeting. I'm going to stay in my office. I stayed back there with my Bible when I prayed. It's the best time of my week. God spoke to me. I saw things in Scripture. See, we don't make room for God. You know, God, God works in margins. If, if your life is so busy, and if you're so full, God didn't have room to work. Jesus in the upper room, and they're partaking of a Passover meal. And he takes the bread. And he says, this represents my body. Now, as often as you eat, do it in remembrance of me. Church, I want us to remember what God has done for us. 
And I want us to feast upon the Lord. The glory in what he's done. We need to take time this week to revel in all that God has done and all that he's doing. Give God room. As we take this communion this morning, I want us to prepare our hearts. And I want us to make commitment. Say, Lord, I'm going to make room for you this week. I'm going to wipe some things off my schedule. I'm going to forego lunch so I could sit with my Bible and go to my prayer closet and spend time with you. Father, we, we thank you for what you've done for us. I thank you for the work of Calvary. Lord, these elements, they, they point to the work of the cross. You went to Calvary to redeem us so that you could put your spirit in us so that we could live life unto God. Lord, right now, I stand before you and I say I'm sorry for living life about everything else. May we live life in a way that brings glory and honor to you. May we live life full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Make us fruitful in every season. We thank you in Jesus' name. Take the bread symbolic of his body and partake of it. Lord, I thank you for your blood and what it represents. I am forgiven. I am free. The curse of sin is broken. The power of sin is broken. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we receive your life and may it produce righteousness in us. Father, I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Take the cup representing the blood of Christ. Church, I want to invite you to come down to this altar and pray. If you need to go, you're welcome to, to leave. But I want to invite those of you that would, let, let's come down to this altar and empty ourselves out before the Lord. Pour it out on the altar.